An air and sea search is continuing for possible survivors of the Edmund Fitzgerald, a 729-foot ore carrier, which apparently broke apart and sunk last night on Lake Superior. The ship and its 29-man crew vanished in a storm with 80-mile-an-hour winds and wave heights up to 25 feet. All that has been found is an oil slick and some debris. Legend is umbrella, the chipper on down at the big lake, they call it sugar mill. That good shipping true was a bone to be chewed when the gales of November came early. The ship was the pride of the American side, coming back from some mill in Wisconsin. As the big freighters go, it was bigger than most With a crew and good captain well-seasoned Concluding some terms with a couple of... Today begins the Pride Month for us. All month long, anything you're comfortable with, anything that you want to donate, send it into the Pride Foundation make the donation to them and as my producers have said note your name we want you to get credit for it but also know something about the podcast in some form or another just just so that we get credit too and it's a beautiful beautiful foundation and a beautiful charity to donate to and just a little bit about them before we get into the meat of what i want to get into the Pride Foundation is the only LGBTQ community foundation serving the Northwest region of Washington, Alaska, Idaho, Montana, and Oregon. The Pride, the Pride Foundation feels trans transformational movements to advance equality and justice for LGBTQ people in all communities across the Northeast, Northwest, across the Northeast. <clears throat> There's communities all over the world that do that. And I'm assuming the Northeast as well. <laughs> and I'm hoping the Northeast as well, actually. <clears throat> Sorry, I got a, like, a whole little pad of frogs in my throat there. Um, and it just, it helps in so many ways. People in the LGBTQ plus community who, who can't get the help they need. Can't get what they desire to make their lives as beautiful as they can be because they are they are they deserve beauty they deserve everything that the world is out there for and they envision a world in which all lgbtq plus people live safely and openly as their whole selves in the communities they call home the philosophy is grounded in social justice philanthropy they are committed to committed to Harnessing and fundraising, grant-making, program, and advocacy efforts to address root causes of discrimination impacting the LGBTQ community. Supporting community leaders and organizations that work to eliminate long-standing barriers to equal access opportunities and resources for LGBTQ people. And, another last part of their philosophy, expanding and deepening the level of engagement among all lgbtq plus people and allies including people who are economically racially socially geographically or politically disenfranchised 
Your values are through courage and joy and risk-taking, integrity, transparency, stewardship, accountability, change, partnership, creativity, strategy, innovation, hope, and resilience. Just a little bit of, of magic and a little bit of things that they do that you can become part of, you can become connected to and go to go to their I'm going to give you that as soon as I can bring it up as soon as I can bring it up here um they the link I'm going to give you the link here uh, I'm trying to do trying to because my producers posted it on the Facebook community and the Facebook is being very slow to load here so it's pridefoundation.org get dash involved slash give slash question mark F B C L I D equals L W A capital A capital R zero nine. That's the website that you can go to to please donate to them, please give to them, and you'll be richly rewarded. It's a very, very decent and noble charity to give to. Please Join us in the Pride Month this month, and on on your own behalf, we want, like I said, we want you to have credit for it, get credit for it, donate, and also mention the podcast. Now, there's something I wanted to mention, and something that I really wanted to get into. As you heard at the beginning via Gordon Lightfoot, the Adventures on Gitchigubi, Lake Superior, the Edmund Fitzgerald. It was an American Great Lakes freighter that sank in Lake Superior during a storm on November 10, 1975, with the unfortunate loss of the entire crew of 29 people. When the launch, when launched on June 7, 1958, <clears throat> she was the largest ship on the North American Great Lakes, and she remains the largest ship to have sunk there. She was located in deep waters on November 14, 1975, by a U.S. Navy aircraft detecting magnetic anomalies, and found soon afterwards to be in two large pieces. For 17 years, the Edmund Fitzgerald carried, carried taconite iron ore from mines near Duluth, Minnesota, to ironworks in Detroit, Toledo, and other Great Lakes ports. As the workhorse, she sat, she set seasonal haul records six times, often breaking her own record. Captain Peter Pulser was known for piping music day or night over the ship's intercom while passing through the St. Clair and Detroit rivers, and entertaining spectators at the Sioux Locks between Lake Superior and Lake, Hur Lake Huron with a running commentary about the ship. Her size, record-breaking performances, and DJ Captain <laughs> endeared the Edmund Fitzgerald to boat, wa to boat watchers. Carrying a full cargo of ore pellets with Captain Ernest M. McSorley in command, she embarked on her ill-fated voyage from Superior, Wisconsin, near Duluth, on the afternoon of November 9, 1975. En route to a steer mill near Detroit, 
the Edmund Fitzgerald joined a second Taconite freighter, the SS Arthur M. Anderson. By the next day, the two ships were caught in a severe storm on Lake Superior. With near hurricane force winds and waves up to 35 feet high, Shortly after 17, 17 p.m., 17. Shortly after 17 p.m., <laughs> somewhere somewhere on the clock, we're not 100 percent sure as to what that is. Shortly after 7:10 p.m., the Edmund Fitzgerald suddenly sank in Canadian waters, 530 feet deep, with about 17 miles, about 17 miles, from Whitefish Bay, near the twin cities of Salt Saint Marie, Michigan in Salt St. Marie, Ontario, a distance Edmund Fitzgerald could have covered in just over an hour at her top speed. The Edmund Fitzgerald previously reported being, being in significantly being, previously reported being in significantly difficult, difficulty to the Arthur M. Anderson. I have a bad list, reported the captain, lost both, both radars and am taking on heavy seas over the deck, one of the worst seas I've ever been in. However, no distress signals were sent before she sank. Captain McSorley's last message to the Arthur M. Anderson was, We are holding our own. Her crew of 29 perished, unfortunately, and no bodies have been recovered. The exact cause of the sinking remains unknown, though many books, studies, and expeditions have examined the Edmund Fitzgerald, and the Fitzgerald may have been swamped, suffered structural failure, or topside damage, experienced shoaling, or suffered from a combination of these. Shoaling, let's see if I can find a definition here, is... See, yeah, my, my producers are sending the definition to me just as I say that. In oceanographic geomorphology and geoscience, a shoal is a natural submerged ridge, bank, or bar that consists of sand and other un unconsol unconsolidated material and rises from the bed of a body of water to near the surface. Kind of like the pictures that that one of our producers just sent me, it kind of looks like an isthmus. If every, if anyone knows what an isthmus is, like an island that's completely surrounded by water, a uh, peninsula is water on three sides, uh, or coasts, I guess, and an isthmus is water on two sides. It's just a, like a, 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 like a, a stretch of land from one, from, from one mainland to the other, and it goes through a body of water, and there's a body of water on both sides, on either side of it. That's as has been explained to me, and as I understand an isthmus to be. And it's, a lot of this, like I said, is coming from History.com website, Wikipedia, my research that my producers have also done as well, and the things that they've given me. And the disaster is one of the best known in the history of the Great Lakes shipping. Gordon Lightfoot made a song about it in a 1976 hit song, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, after reading an article of The Cruelest Month in the November 24, 1975 issue of Newsweek. The, sink the sinking led to changes in Great Lakes shipping, regulations, and practices that included mandatory survival suits, depth finders, positioning systems, 
increased freeboard and more frequent inspection of vessels. And it's something that's very, very interesting about the history and the, how the Edmund Fitzgerald came to be. It's just very, very interesting. And a lot of this, like I said, is from history.com. A little bit of inputs from Wikipedia as well. Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company of Milwaukee invested in the iron and minerals industry on a large scale basis, including the construction of the Fitzgerald, which represented the first such investment by any American life insurance company. In 1957, they contracted Great Lakes Engineering Works of River Rouge, Michigan to design and construct the ship within a foot of the maximum length allowed for passage through the soon-to-be-completed St. Mer- Lawrence Seaway. The ship's value at that time was $7 million, roughly equivalent to $49.7 million in 2019. The Edmund Fitzgerald was the first, the first laker, the, the ship on the lake, to go on a lake, built to the maximum St. Lawrence Seaway size which was 730 feet long, 75 feet wide, and a width of 25 feet. The the molded, molded depth, M-O-U-L-D-E-D, molded depth, roughly speaking, the vertical length, the vertical length, roughly speaking, the vertical height of the hull was 39 feet. The whole depth the inside height of the cargo hold was 33 feet 4 inches with a dead weight capacity of 26,000 tons and a 729 foot hull Edmund Fitzgerald was the largest ship on the Great Lakes earning her the title Queen of the Lakes until September until September 17, 1959 when when the 730 foot SS Murray Bay was launched. Edmund Fitzgerald's three central cargo holds were loaded through 21 watertight cargo hatches, each 11 by 48 feet. I'm losing my place again. Originally coal-fired, her boilers were converted to burn oil during the 1971-72 winter layup. In 1969, the ship's maneuverability was improved by the installation of diesel power of a diesel powered bow thruster by ore freighter standards the interior of the Edmund Fitzgerald was luxurious her JL Hudson company designed furnishings included deep piling carpeted carpeting tiled bathrooms drape over the drapes over the portholes and leather swivel chairs in the guest lounge there were two guest staterooms for passengers, air conditioning, extended crew quarters, which featured more amenities than usual, a large galley and fully stocked pantry supplied meals for two dining rooms. The Edmund Fitzgerald's pilot house was outfitted with a state-of-the-art nautical equipment and beautiful map room and a beautiful map room. Northwestern Mutual named the Fitzgerald after its president and chairman of the board, Edmund Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald's own grandfather had himself been a lake captain, and his father owned the Milwaukee Dry Dock Company, 
which built and repaired ships. More than 15,000 people attended the Fitzgerald's christening and launch ceremony on June 7, 1958. The event was plagued by misfortunes, however. The, when Elizabeth Fitzgerald, the wife of Edmund Fitzgerald, tried to christen the, sh tried to christen the ship by smashing a champagne bottle over the bow, it took her three attempts to break the bottle. Sorry, I don't, I don't mean to snicker or don't mean to chuckle there, but I just figured that every time a ship has, every time anywhere a ship has ever been christened, and someone tried to smash a champagne bottle across the hull, some part somewhere it wouldn't work, and they'd have to smash the bottle several hundreds of times, therefore denting the front of the ship. <laughs> I always just thought that 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 would happen, or that could happen, or that might be the case somewhere. <laughs> It just is not surprised that it took her three attempts. Three, it just, I always thought that that could be the case. A delay, it caused a delay of 36 minutes followed while the shipyard crew struggled to release the keel blocks. Upon sideways launch, the ship created a large wave that was, that doused the spectators and then crashed into a pier before righting herself. One man watching the launch had a heart attack and later died. Another, other, witnessing, other witnesses later said, there were, said they swore the ship was trying to climb right out of the water. On September 22, 1958, Ed, the Edmund Fitzgerald completed nine days of sea trials. Northwestern Mutual's normal practice was to purchase these ships for operation by other companies. In the Fitzgerald's case, they signed a 25-year contract with Ogilvy Norton Corporation to operate the vessel. Ogilvy Norton immediately designed Edmund Fitzgerald the flagship of its Columbus transportation fleet. The Fitzgerald was a record-setting workhorse, often beating her own milestones, like was mentioned earlier. The vessel's record load for a single trip was 27,402 long tons in 1969. For 17 years, the Fitzgerald carried taconite from Minnesota's iron range mines near Duluth to iron works in Detroit, Toledo, and other ports. She set seasonal haul records six different times. Her, her nicknames included Fitz, Pride of the American Side, Mighty Fitz, Toledo Express, Big Fitz, and perhaps dooming it to its eventual fate, the Titanic of the Great Lakes. Loading the Fitzgerald with taconite pellets took about four and a half hours, while unloading took about 14 hours. A round trip averaged 47 similar trip. Whoa, I skipped a line there. A round trip. At, wait. A round trip between okay I lost my place in what I was reading there so I had to jump around there I apologize a round trip between Superior Wisconsin and Detroit Michigan usually took her five days and she averaged 47 similar trips per season the vessel's usual route was between Superior and Toledo although her port of destination could vary by November 1975, the Fitzgerald had logged an estimated 748 round trips on the Great Lakes and covered more than a million miles, 
a distance roughly equivalent to 44 trips around the world. Up until a few weeks prior, up until a few weeks before her loss, passengers had traveled on board as company guests. Frederick Stonehouse wrote, "Stewards treated the guests to, an, to the entire VIP routine. The cuisine, the, cru- the cuisine, the cuisine. Well, they were on a ship, so that makes you think the cuisine. <laughs> the cuisine was reportedly excellent, and snacks were always available in the lounge." A small but well-stocked kitchenette provided the drinks. Once each trip, the captain held a candlelight dinner for the guests, complete with mess-jacketed stewards and special clam digger punch. Because of her size, appearance, string of records, and DJ captain, the Fitzgerald became a favor of boat watchers throughout her career. Although Captain Peter Pulser was in command of the Fitzgerald on trips when cargo records were set, he is best remembered for piping music in day or night over the ship's intercom, while passing through the St. Clair and Detroit rivers. While navigating the Sioux locks, he would often come out of the pilot house and use a bullhorn to entertain tourists with a commentary on details about the Fitzgerald. In 1969, the Fitzgerald received a safety award for eight years of operation without a time off worker injury. The vessel ran around uh, the vessel ran aground in 1969 and she collided with the SS Hochelega in 1970. Later that same year she struck a wall struck the wall of a lock. An accident repeated in 1973 and 74. During 74 she lost her original bow anchor in the Detroit River. None of the mishaps, however, were considered serious or unusual. Freshwater ships are built to last more than half a century, and the Fitzgerald would have would still have had a long career ahead of her had she not sank. The Fitzgerald left Superior, Wisconsin at 2.15 p.m on the afternoon of November 9, 1975, under the command of Ernst M. McSorley. She was en route to the steel mill in Zug Island near Detroit, Michigan, with a cargo of 26,116 long tons of taconite ore pellets, and soon reached her full speed of 16.3 miles per hour. Around 5 p.m., the Fitzgerald joined the second uh, joined a second fr- freighter under the command of Captain Jesse B. Co- Jesse B. Cooper, the Arthur M. Anderson, destined for Gary, Indiana, out of Two Harbors, Minnesota. The weather forecast was not unusual for November, and National Weather Service predicted that a storm would pass just south of Lake Superior by 7 a.m. on November 10th. The SS Wilfred Sykes loaded loaded opposite the Edmund Fitzgerald at the Burlington Northern Dock and departed at 4.15 p.m., about two hours after the Fitzgerald. In contrast to the NWS forecast, Captain Dudley J. Paquette of the Wilfred Sykes predicted that a major storm would directly cross Lake Superior. Unfortunately, he was right. From the outset, he chose a route that took advantage of the protection offered by the lake's north shore to avoid 
worst, the worst effects of the storm. The crew of the Wilfred Sykes followed the radio conversations between the Edmund Fitzgerald and the Arthur Anderson during the first part of their trip and overheard that the captains deciding and overheard their captains deciding to take the regular Lake Carriers Association downbound route. The NWS altered its forecast at 7 p.m., issuing gale warnings for the whole of Lake Superior. The Arthur Anderson and the Fitz altered course northward seeking shelter along the Ontario shore, where they encountered a winter storm at 1 a.m. on November 10th. The Fitzgerald reported winds of of 52 knots, around 96 kilometers per hour or 60 miles per hour, and waves 10 feet high. Captain Paquette of the Wilfred Sykes reported that after 1 a.m. he overheard McSorley say that he had reduced the ship's speed because of the rough conditions. Paquette said he was stunned to later hear McSorley, who is not known for turning aside or slowing down, state that we're going to try for some less for some lee we were going to try for some lee from isle royale you're walking away from us anyway i can't stay with you at 2 a.m on november 10th the nws upgraded its warnings from gale to storm forecasting winds of 35 to 50 knots until then, the Fitzgerald had followed the Anderson, which was traveling at a constant 14.6 miles per hour. But the faster Fitzgerald pulled ahead at about 3 a.m. As the storm center passed over the ships, they experienced shifting winds, with wind speeds temporarily dropping as wind direction changed from northeast to south, and then to northwest. After 1.50 p.m., when the Arthur Anderson logged winds of about 50 knots, wind speeds again picked up rapidly and it began to snow at 2.45 p.m., reducing visibility. The Arthur Anderson lost sight of the Fitz, which was about 16 miles ahead at the time. Shortly, at, shortly after 3.30 p.m., Captain McSorley radioed the Arthur Anderson to report that the Fitz was taking on water and had lost two vent covers and a fence railing. The vessel had also developed a noticeable list. Two of the Fitzgerald sinking bilge pumps, two of the sinking, two of the Fitzgerald, let's read the sentence again so it can make sense. Two of the Fitzgerald's six, two, the word is six, two of the Fitzgerald's six bilge pumps ran continuously to discharge ship water. McSorley said that he would allow his ship, would, would slow his ship down so that the Arthur Anderson could close the gap between them. In the broadcast shortly afterward, the U.S. the U.S. Coast Guard warned all shipping that the Sioux locks had been closed and they should seek safe, safe anchorage elsewhere. Shortly after 4.10 p.m., McSorley called the Arthur Anderson again to report a radar failure and asked the Arthur Anderson to keep track of them. The Fitz, effectively blind, slowed to let the Arthur Anderson come within a 10-mile range so she could receive radar guidance from the other ship. For a time, the Arthur Anderson directed the Fitz toward the relative safe safety of Whitefish Bay, 
Then, at 4.39 p.m., McSorley contacted the USCG station in Grand Marais, Michigan, to inquire whether the Whitefish Point light and navigation beacon were operational. The USCG replied that their monitoring equipment indicated that both instruments were inactive. McSorley then hailed any ships in the Whitefish Point area to report the state of the navigational aids. Receiving an answer from Captain Cedric Woodard of Avafors between 5 and 5.30 p.m. that the Whitefish Point light was on but not the radio beacon. Woodard testified to the Marine Board that he overheard McSorley say, Don't allow nobody on deck. As well as something about a vent that Woodard could not understand. Sometime later, McSorley told Woodard, I have a bad list. I have lost both radars and am taking on heavy seas over the deck in one of the worst seas I have ever been in. By late in the afternoon of November 10th, sustained winds over 50 knots were recorded by the ships and observation points across eastern Lake Superior. The Arthur M. Anderson logs sustained winds as high as 58 knots at 4.52 p.m., while waves increased to as high as 25 feet. By 6, the Arthur Anderson was also struck by a 70 to 75 knot gusts and rogue waves as high as 35 feet. At approximately 7.10 p.m., when the Arthur Anderson notified the Fitz of an, in, of an upbound ship and asked how she was doing, McSorley reported, we are holding our own. That was the last time anyone ever heard of her or fr and from her. No distress signal was received. And 10 minutes later, the Arthur M. Anderson lost the ability either to reach the Fitz by radio or to detect her on radar. Captain Cooper of the Arthur Anderson first called the USCG in Salt St. Marie at 7.39 p.m. on Channel 16, the radio distress frequency. The USCG responders instructed him to call back on Channel 12 because they wanted to keep their emergency channel open and they were having difficulty with their communication systems, including antennas blown down by the storm. Cooper then contacted the upbound saltwater vessel non-free and was told that she could not pick up the Fitzgerald on her radar either. Despite repeated attempts to raise the USCG, Cooper was not successful until 7.54 p.m. when the other officer on duty asked him to keep watch for a 16-foot boat lost in the area. At about 8.25 p.m., Cooper again called the USCG to express his concern about the Fitz and and at 9.03 p.m. reported her missing. Petty Officer, Petty Officer Philip Branch later testified, I considered it serious, but at the time, it was not urgent. There's a lot about the Fitzgerald, a lot about the great, interesting legend of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And in her memory, 
of the 29 people that were lost it's it's a great thing to to try and to try in their memory to honor them and a great thing to try and and honor what they did for shipping it's a just it, the, the story of the Fitzgerald is a great thing it's very very interesting and like I said earlier at the beginning remember that all this month we're doing our pride month so follow the links I mentioned earlier and please donate if you whatever you feel comfortable with so thank you all so much for listening stick around for a little bit more in the end here want to check out the best podcast and best YouTube channel out there true true friends of this podcast Check out Fantastic Cruising over on Apple Podcasts and all your favorite podcasting devices and services. Give them a five-star review. Head on over to YouTube. Look up Fantastic Studios. Give them a five-star review and give them comments. They'll love that to death. They are the greatest podcast out there. Give them a shout-out. Want to check out the greatest storytelling podcast out there? Want to ride to Hogwarts with Hagrid? Check out Common Room Talk on all the major podcast platforms. Tony tells you a story that will pull you in. You will be impressed and you will love it all the time. Please join me in supporting and giving to the Pride Foundation and the Trevor Project. When you donate to the Pride Foundation, you join thousands of supporters building a better, safer, more equitable world for LGBTQIA people and their families. Every gift, whether $1 or $1,000, makes an impact for real people and ripples outward into our communities. There are many different ways to join and help the fight. Also go on to their websites for the Pride Foundation and the Trevor Project and donate and help in any way possible. The Trevor Project offers support and help for LGBTQIA youth all over the country and all over the world. Please show them some love and give them some support.